The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. People who have big homes and lots of land, and uh, some of which who are uh, big wigs in the city who live in that part of the eastern Platte County, uh, who just uh, think they've made it in life. May they come to see through the ministry of this church that is only Christ that can save. It's nothing of this world. And may that be the same for us here in our backyard, for Grace Park and our Grace Moore and Maple Park, excuse me. Father, you know, and wherever we live, that Christ is exalted. Father, as we study a very difficult passage, one that has a lot of intrigue and a lot of uh, uh, buzz around it because of the words we said before this prayer, we just pray that we don't lose focus the same, that this is about you, your son coming, and you winning. It's not about these details, as important as they are. Father, whatever they may mean, we know it's about Christ and Christ alone. So help our hearts to do that today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your, find your way to Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13, and uh, you're joining us, we are in almost a uh, year-long study. Uh, we started last May through the book of Revelation on Mother's Day, exactly. And we've taken breaks along the way, but we're uh, in the arguably the hardest chapter and as I just prayed, the most intriguing chapter, because everybody wants to know who is the Antichrist, what is the mark of the beast, and what does that number 666 mean? And, and those are important, and we'll get there. But really, what this is about, once again, is what we've entitled our series the whole time, is that God wins. And that's who's always in charge, and that's who's always going to be in charge. God wins. We have disagreements over, is it symbolic here, literal there? Is this past? Is this in the present? Is this in the future? And there's good people on all those sides, and I'll take a stance, and you may take a different stance. But at the end of the day, what we celebrate together is what Christ has already done and what he's coming to do and is doing in this world. So I don't want you to lose all that because so many people, I've, I've posted a lot of my sermon on little snippets through the week, as I often do on Facebook, and I've gotten messages from people saying, well, who is the Antichrist? Is it this president, this leader? Is it this sports person? Is it someone we don't? Look, all we know and what we care about most of all is that Christ is Lord and Lord indeed. And let's not lose that focus. If you're able to stay, I know we've done a lot of up and down today, but the sun is out, so you've got to move those muscles. And why don't you stand with us this morning as we read Revelation 13. And uh, we'll be reading from the ESV Bible. That's also the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to take one of those. If there's one on the row in front of you. And we're in the last book of Revelation. Uh, big number 13, small number 1, Revelation 13. And this is what John said. And just to remind you, we finished the bowls. We finished the uh, uh, seals. And now we're in an in-between between chapter 12 and chapter 14 before we start the trumpets, the seven trumpets. The worst part of Revelation is yet to come. And he's showing us the story behind the story, if you will. And we picked up last week in chapter 12 with the woman, uh, the beast, and the man, or, or the son, the picture of the gospel coming through in the church and, and Satan attacking them. And now we hit chapter 13, a little more descriptive about what Satan will try to do and has done through the world in the years that have proceeded and the years that are to come. So hear God's word this morning, Revelation 13. John said, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, or a sea beast, with ten horns and seven heads, and ten crowns or diadems on its horns. 
and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. Verse 3, And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed or worshipped the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he has given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who's like the beast? Who can fight against it? So, verse 5, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opens his mouth and utters blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them, and authority was given to it over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So, verse 8, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb of God who was slain. And if you have any glimmer of hope through this, verses 9 and 10 are it. If you're here, your underliner, this is, these are your verses. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, then he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance of faith of the saints. And then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, verse 11. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. And it exercises all authority on the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. So, verse 13, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by signs it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, and it deceives those who dwell on the earth and telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and lived. We're almost there. Hang tight. And it was allowed to give breath, verse 15, to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who had not worshipped the image of the beast to be slain. And it also causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has a mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. And so, verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who understands calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of the man, and his number is 666. It's a lot to unpack, and I pray we do it profoundly to God's glory, but I pray we do it simply so we can all understand, including myself, because this is a tough chapter. Will you bow your heads with me as we go before the Lord? Father, as we read your word, we, we uh, take hold of the promise that Revelation promises those who read it, that we will be blessed, not just to read it, but to do it and obey what the words say. The only book of Scripture in the New Testament we are told in such a manner. But Father, all your word from Genesis to Revelation tells us if we are faithful to follow it, you are faithful to bless us, not because we deserve it, Lord, but because we are trying to honor and spread your name. So Lord, be lifted high. Wherever we land on these issues of who is the Antichrist, what's the mark of the beast, and 666 and everything in between, may it not cause what Satan would have it cause, disunity, disfellowship, weird looks, but may Christ be all the more exalted in our unity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For Father, that's what it'll be a picture of for all eternity. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. amen. may be seated. Thank you. Well, as we come to this passage... Uh, I posted on Facebook this last week, and I said, what does the number 666, what's the first thing that came to mind? Oh, man, people all across the board, and there were good, serious comments, and there were other funny things. But the same day I posted this, I had to go to Walmart. 
as many of you often had to go to Walmart, and I bought two things I now have found that apparently are satanic, at least by the number. <laughs> Unsalted butter and plain Jane yogurt. My total at the Walmart was $6.66. And the tax made all the difference. We'll leave that alone. For That's another... Pay into Caesars with Caesars, and no, we'll leave that alone. But I don't believe that God gave divine signs in the sense that this is some, you know, whatever. But it is providential, perhaps a better way to say it. The very day my head was swarming, Nelson will tell you in this topic, the very thing that ends at the And there was no one to say, do you want to add a piece of stick of butter or something on that to increase? That's the price. This number is everywhere, and this causes so much division and so much intrigue. And I kid you not. I've known churches who've split over this very chapter because people get so, no, the Antichrist is this and the market. Be no, please don't do that. Please know that Christ is bigger than that and better than that. We laugh at this stuff because we know it's true because we know that Christ is who we are here for. But you know what? It's almost like when you go to the, the ocean. I've been a couple of times. It's, you have to tell people, you, you can go out there, but, but underneath there, there's an undercurrent. And if you're not careful, that undercurrent can pull you straight back in and out and take you to places that you don't want to go. And friends, I'm here to tell you that's what Satan wants to do with a chapter like this. He wants you not to know what his plans will be, and he wants you not to know what is to come. He wants to take you in and take you out to the sea to open ocean without any hope of rescue. And that's why 2 Corinthians 11:14 says that he masquerades as an angel of light. Satan does everything he can to make his stuff look normal, acceptable, and tolerant. But that's not what the Bible says here. In fact, he's constantly pulling us away from what Colossians 3.2 says, that we should set our minds on things that are above. And so today, I want to ask the question, how does Satan influence the future? The Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast, 666, all that stuff. But where are we in all of this? How does this impact us? And today's big idea, and if you're visiting, this is just a, a single uh, understanding of the whole passage, is, is that God's people must endure in faith, despite Satan's deception and despite his persecution. Look, we cannot be ignorant of the end times. We have been in the end times since Christ died, was buried, and ascended up. We've always been in the end times until Christ returns. But the stage is set and has been forevermore that it's seemingly that the more we talk about, the more you can look around and say, man, is this the time? I don't know. We don't know the day or the hour. But what we do know today is we want to unveil the beast, the sea beast, the land beast. And we want to disclose him and reveal him because the more we know about him, the more we'll want to know about God because he's hideous. He's horrible. But God is holy and he is worthy of everything that we have. So today, four pictures of how Satan deceives, how Satan deceives and tries to persecute us. And we will have notes on the screen. We will, uh, we will go as slow as we can, but we're going to truck along. There's a lot to this chapter. But I want you to see the first thing this morning is the dramatic arrival, the dramatic arrival of the beast there in verses 1 to 3. At the start of verse 3. And he said, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. This beast seemingly comes out of nowhere. And, and last week, as we saw chapter 12, we saw the dragon who was Satan. Chapter 12, verse 9, identifies him as such. But now there's another, uh, another figure, another uh, uh, character to the, the story. And this beast seemingly comes out of nowhere. And the Bible teaches us here that he's coming out of the sea. The sea stands for the nations of the world. The sea stands for the nations of the world. If you were an Israelite and you heard about the sea, that made you shiver. 
And we talked about this in chapter 10 before Christmas as well. It would be not unlike uh, uh, in Western Europe in World War II that if you heard that, that the Nazis were coming west because they'd already taken over Poland and other parts of the, of the known European time at that point. But Revelation 17, 15 also identifies the sea, and it says that when he came out, Revelation 17, 15, it says, when he came out, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw are the peoples of the multitudes of the nations and languages. And it refers the sea back to Satan himself. The sea is a terrible place. And so the Bible teaches us that there will be trouble and people will be eager to bring trouble because the beast is coming quickly and suddenly. But I want you also to see in the sub point here, I want you to notice his ancestry. Notice the ancestry of the beast. This beast is identified as rising out of the sea with 10 horns, seven heads, 10 diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names. What do we know about this one? Well, the ancestry, again, the dragon is the devil. The dragon is the devil. And so this beast here is related to Satan himself because that's where he's coming from. This passage gives us a description of the devil and also the beast. But you also see that in chapter 12, verse 9. But the beast has the devil for his father. Remember back in John 14, as Jesus was closing out at the end of his ministry, the night before he was crucified, he said, when you saw him on earth, you saw the Father. Well, in a sense, when you see the beast, you are seeing Satan himself. Does that make sense? The beast will also say, whoever has seen him has seen his Father. He's a visible expression of the invisible devil. But this beast and this devil also have family all across the land. He has families of the kingdoms of the earth, families of the the kingdoms of the earth. And you see that there in verse 2. And the beast I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion. And to it, the dragon, that's Satan, gave his power, his throne, and his authority. We do not have time to go there. But I want you to write down Daniel chapter 7, if you're following along, because this is where I'll reference back to But in Daniel 7, there was also a kind of symbolism going on. And there was there a lion, a leopard, and a bear. And there we understand that the the lion was the nation of Babylon, that the bear was the nation of Persia, and that the leopard represented Greece because it was rapidly conquesting the world under Alexander the Great. And the final one that they saw in Daniel 7, and and again here in verse 2, was probably representative of all the nations, of all the kingdoms, all the Hitlers and Stalins and Mussolinis. You know, in John's day, he probably saw this beast of verse 2 as Rome itself. There are many today who believe that the, the Pope is the Antichrist, and many of the Reformers, those old dead guys we love to quote around here, believe that to be true. But what does this beast symbolize? What is it all about? Well, the beast here symbolizes the governments of time working for Satan. The beast symbolizes the governments of time working over for Satan. That's really what it's about. Despite all this, the Bible says that God is in control. The symbol that this is, is that he's saying that from all parts of the world, the dramatic arrival of this beast is really a representation of all the people of all times who've been evil and set themselves against God and his kingdom. Now, that may be different than some of you have heard, but I think the general principle applies. Satan has been active in every government, yes, and I don't need to tell you this, even in our own United States of America. Every place, everywhere, no matter the godly influence, even David, the man after God's own heart, was tempted, as it were, to use his eyes and his body in a way that God never gave him permission to do so. 
The people have rejected the lamb, and now they will receive the beast. John 5, 43, Jesus said this. He said, I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in my name, you will receive him. These people here have really received the spotted leopard rather than the spotless lamb. They really have grasped the bear rather than the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the beast comes, whatever that is, if it's symbolism or literal, and it's probably a little bit of both going on here, they're going to follow after him because he seemingly has all the answers. And the fortune of the power of the authority of the earth that he has is going to be such that people will want to follow him. And you saw that in verse 3, and they're going to worship him and marvel at him. And we'll see that in just a second. Look, God gave power and authority to Adam. Adam gave it back to, to Satan in a sense in Genesis 3, Romans 5 says. And the devil tried to tempt Jesus. You remember that? Jesus, you'll just bow down and worship me. It's all yours. It's already his anyway, Satan. doesn't matter. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says that the coming of the lawless one, this beast, is an activity of Satan that has all powers and false signs. Here's what I want you to know. Satan under God's sovereign control is always on a leash. Satan can't break free from it. Satan can't do anything unless God himself allows. Satan cannot use his full authority today because the Holy Spirit is restraining him. And you need to be reminded that just like in Job 1 and 2, and just like in Psalm 2, God reigns. God wins. No one can, can fight against him and ever succeed. And this dramatic arrival has all the, the flash and bang that it brings, but behind the scenes, there's really nothing there. And we will see that as we go along. But Satan is on a leash. You need to know that. The evil you look around and see is temporary, terrible as it is. God is well aware. He knows, and he's bringing it to a final conclusion. But this beast is going to wreak havoc before he comes. And even into verse 3, it says, one of its heads seemed to be a mortal wound. Now, I'm going to get to that next. You see his dramatic arrival here, but I want you also to see the dreamy allure. Dreamy allure. Say that five times fast. The dreamy allure. In other words, he's very, people love him. He's like a magnet that people want to come to him. And verses 3 and 4 will unveil that. In fact, in verse 3, it says, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, and the whole earth. Your Bible may use that description, the whole earth. It's funny because in Genesis 11, we were studying the Tower of Babel about an hour ago, and it said the whole earth came together. When the whole earth comes together, it's usually not a good thing. Mom and dad were right. There's not a, when you follow the crowd, it's not always a good thing, right? And you know that to be true. But the world will follow the beast. The world will, will literally follow the beast. 2 Corinthians eleven 14. I'm going to quote that again to you because you need to see it. And no wonder, for even Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. The term beast here does not refer to his appearance, but it speaks of his nature. And the beast will offer the world his handsomeness, his charmingness, his cleverness. He, he, he will offer his intelligence and all these things. And, and everyone will want to follow him because he seems to have all the right answers. But it's just a facade. It's just a lie. It's just like in Chronicles of Narnia, if you remember that book, those Turkish delights that the, the ice queen used to give all the little boys and girls. It turned them into something that they should not have been. So what is this wound of verse 3? We don't... I'll give you two perspectives on this. Some say, and many of you have grown up knowing, I, I, I've studied this for sure, that this mortal wound is that whoever this beast is is going to be killed, and he's going to die, and someday he will, he will be resurrected back, 
And that's where some will say that in verse 3, where they'll say that he, he was resurrected back and he appears to be dead and he'll be brought back to life and he'll be the greatest advocate for peace and worship and all those things. And that may be true to some degree. I'm not sure that's quite what we have here. The same word used for wound is the same word used in chapter 5 by John to describe Jesus as the one slain before the foundation of the world. Once again, John is taking a word that has been used by Satan in a negative way, and he's using it to show that Christ has preeminence over all things of Satan. The point I think he's trying to be made here is not that there's going to be some man who looks dead and comes alive. What it's likely saying is that Christ is defeating Satan, and, and the beast is actively opposing him, and it appears that he's winning. It appears that this beast Whatever it is, this evil that is opposing God is winning. The wound appears healed, uh, but it's similar to... I've got a lot of World War II quotes in my head, forgive me. World War II is a very fascinating time. Many of you new folks who lived during that, many of you know that on uh, June 6, 1944, D-Day happened, the, the largest invasion ever that took across the English Channel into northwestern France to Normandy. And it looked at that point like the war was over because we just ran over, with casualties, of course, the enemies. But the war would not be over for almost another 11, 10 and 11 months till May 1945. And in a sense, I think that's what's being said here. Christ has won the battle, but Satan keeps going like a, a snake with his heads cut off and keeps trying to get after you and after you and after you and after you. I'm not sure it's referring to a literal person here. When goodness rises, evil resurfaces dictators, cultural obsessions, etc. And the allure of the beast is what verse 4 says. They will worship him because he has been given authority. Friends, there are so many things in this world where people will keep looking over and over and say, man, that's so good. But don't buy it. The greatest lie Satan told you, did God really say? God has said, and he spoke it in his word. And if his word says different, you need to run away as fast as you got there. People are going to run after whatever this is and have been for centuries. But how is he going to accomplish this? Well, that allure turns into the dark aims, number three here, the dark aims of the beast. I want you to see how he uses this to deceive and persecute God's people. And there's five of these, and these are big titles. I'll, I'll verbally tell you the details, but just for sake of time, I want you to see that he will have people worship Satan. Whether this is a literal person or a system or both, what it says here, and they worship the dragon. The worship of Satan and the beast instead of worshiping the Lord. To say things about the beast instead of saying things about God. To, to go against what Moses did in uh, Exodus 15, to tell about the greatness of God, they will tell about the greatness of Satan and this beast. It's always opposite, isn't it? And it's key to recognize the world admires him, and, and, and anyone who opposes him is, is thought of as weird. Anyone who says, we don't want to do that is labeled weird, old school, curmudgeon. Um, I can use other words. I think you get the point. Backwoods. But look, if you know Jesus, you know the challenge. There's always going to be a force, so to speak, opposing you when you seek to do the will of God. Often churches and Christians will say, how do we know God's working? Because there is great evidence of opposition to what God is doing. That isn't always the case. Sin can be in there, but it's important to understand this power. Remember, Satan always wants to be worshipped. Isaiah 14, 14, quote, Satan speaking, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. The reason 
that he wants these days to continue is he wants all the worship. It's like a, a football player. When everyone else is supposed to be in the team, they're doing this. Oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. No, you're a team, buddy. It's not how that works. There's no I in team. Ha, ha, you know, all those things. They're true. Look, Satan will receive worship through the beast, symbolic of evil of all time, perhaps. The devil will receive worship, but they're taking it away from God. That's how he's going to try and get you away, to make you worship and focus on things that are not of Christ. Second way he does this in verse 5 is that he wants to withstand the Savior, verses 5 and 6. Notice that time frame here. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous things and words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And he opened his mouth and he uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is all who dwell upon or are in heaven. We've seen that phrase before there in verse 5, uh, roughly five times so far. Time, time and a half, half a time, three and a half years, 1260 days, 42 months. It signifies across all time this tribulation that's going on. It started at the resurrection and will end when Christ returns. The beast here, notice that he is speaking blasphemous words. What is blasphemy? It's taking something holy and making it unholy. It's taking the names of God and making it common or vain. It's taking things that should be reverence and making it irreverent. You know, I can't tell you how many times this image comes to my mind down by UMKC in Rockhurst in an old Presbyterian church that just ran out of money. It was a conservative Presbyterian church. There is a Hari Krishna Ravidic temple down there. And inside, you can go and eat there. I'm not saying you should. We used to go as seminary students and go and try and witness to them. And I remember they had, they had the best vegan food. If you're into vegan food, that's where you go. But inside, they had statues of, of Krishna, Krishna is the god of the Hindus, and they were life-size. I mean, no kidding, where our cross is, that tall and bigger. But you know what they never did? They never took out the crosses from that old Presbyterian church. It's just the weirdest contradiction to walk in. There's like this big idol, like a bale almost. And then there's a cross. It's covering up right in front of it. What is happening in a lot of places around the world is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 24. False Christs and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Satan and his beast are out to get people to just get a little bit of falsehood with truth to get them away from what Christ has said. Be careful. Whatever church you attend, if the pulpit is not teaching the truth, and you will know at times it's not, leave that place. Be careful who you listen to. Well, he teaches mostly good stuff. No, it's his word based upon what this word says, not on his words. Be careful, guys, because the very moment we start saying it's okay to listen to such and such because he uses Jesus, he talks about Jesus, we're doing no different than what the beast is doing. We're blaspheming the name of God. But Christian, I also want to have a word for us too. The old dead guys talked about practical atheism, that we can say we love God and believe in God and do all these things about God, but we can live our lives outside of everything he said to do, and we can walk around in a very real sense, not believing that God is able to do what he says and live like practical atheists, even though we claim Christian. Be careful how we live. May God give us wisdom. So he, he causes people to worship Satan, the beast does. He, he wants to withstand the Savior. Number three, verse seven, he wants to wreck the saints. Notice how it's described there in the first part of verse seven. It says, and it was allowed, it, also it, that being the beast, was allowed to make war with who? The saints. 
Just say a preferential note here. Uh, it's been a while since we mentioned it. We do not believe that saints are people who died and they did a, a tribunal investigation on and they found they did three miracles and they got canonized and their, their bodies are kept in like a mummy-like no. A saint is anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus to save them. That is a saint. So if you're here today and you're, Je- and you're in Jesus, you are a saint and you didn't have to do any miracles, amen? The greatest miracle was done to you. Jesus saved a wretch like you and a wretch like me. That makes you a saint. But there is going to be war. And, and this is to stamp out the saints. And, and the beast wants to prevent them from winning. And he wants to stop it at all costs. And if you look at all of human history, how many times have God's people been under attack? Has there ever been a break? Probably not. There might have been periods of breaks, but really all across the world, over 55,000 people, according to last year's report, uh, from um, uh, the, uh, the mar- voice of the martyrs died last year, giving their life to Jesus Christ. You know what countries they were in mostly? Iran, Iraq, United Arab Emirates, North Korea, China, Sudan, Eritrea, Eastern Africa. The point of all this is, is that the beast is demanding worship, and he wants to wreck the saints. And he tells them, if you worship this God, I will take your life. And we cannot allow that to happen. Here's the fourth dark game he has. He's trying to win society. Look at the end of verse 7. It says, he allowed them to make war and the saints and to conquer them. And notice the authority was given over, there's that four phrases we've seen a lot, every tribe, language, nation, and people. You remember that terminology? We won't go there for sake of time. But in Revelation chapter 7, the 144,000, he wants to win over society. He wants to win over everybody, everywhere, in every place. We send out missionaries, don't we, to propagate the gospel wherever we go. Satan sends out missionaries wherever those missionaries want to go, everywhere. He wants to terrify some and entice others, but the whole world will be intimidated and bribed into following this beast. The last way that he makes war and he does and he darkens with his aims is to worsen the saints. This is verses 8 through 10. He worsens the saints and it says, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it, that the beast, and everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world uh, or was in the life of the book of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Well, what is this book of life? Well, Isaiah talks about it. Exodus talks about it. Daniel, Luke, and Philippians. What is the book of life? The book of life is for everyone who's come to know Jesus. Your name is written in there. Revelation chapter 20 says that he will open up the books. What are those books? There's one for judgment and there's one for life. Which side are you on? It's really what it boils down to. And it says that we can take comfort in knowing that he has known us from eternity past. Guys, we could spend a whole series on verse 8. Patsy, our dear sweet sister, loves, and I've said this before, she loves a word that is so... People, it depends on who you are, what this means for you. But there is a word called predestination that comes in here. When did he love you? When did he write your name in the book? What does it say? When you decided to follow Jesus? When you chose him? Before the foundation of the world. God knew you would come to him. He didn't look down the corridor of time and see that you would make a decision for him. He knew you. He knows your frame and your bones and everything about you. But by his grace and his spirit, he gifted you, Ephesians 2, the gift of faith to respond to him. Do you know what Acts 5 and 4 say? That Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. My point of all this is to say is the devil does not want casualties. He wants converts. 
And what this reminds us is, is that you are converted to Jesus Christ. Satan can never snatch anyone or anything in Christ out of your life. He may steal your joy. He may take away, at times, your purpose for living, but he can never steal your salvation. Friends, I want you to know that election is protection. Election is protection. These little pithy things that make uh, pastors all giddy, right? Election equals protection. Election is not what we were going to do in, uh, in November in the primaries. That's, that's an election, yes. Election is when God, for purposes and in love, as Ephesians 1 and Romans 9 says, chose out those who would be saved. Who are those that would be saved? We don't know. We're to go and evangelize and tell everyone about the gospel. But those that are his and are saved before the foundation of the world, when the beast comes or whatever comes, are saved in him. And yes, they make a real choice to believe in him. You had to accept Christ, didn't you? You had to actually turn to Christ. But because Christ gave you that faith, you were able to turn to him. Election is protection. And that's why he says in verse 9, if anyone has ears, let him hear. Because when all the beast breaks out with all he's going to do, you need to know that you're secure in Jesus Christ. When all the world comes at you, you need to know he's never going to let you go. And that's the same word he gave to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. We should not give in to the pressure of satanic influences. We should be faithful to Christ. And that's what he says in verse 10. Did you notice that? He says, if anyone's going to be taken captive to captivity, he's going to go. It's going to happen. If anyone's going to die or be slain with the sword, guess what? He's going to die or be slain with the sword. But what is your call? Look at the end of verse 10. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. No matter what the world does to you, no matter what Satan may throw at you, what is your job, Christian? Be faithful. Be one of endurance. Stay the course. Don't lose your faith. If you can lose your faith, you would but God gives you the strength to walk through your faith. Friends, he's going to do everything he can to worsen you. He's going to do everything he can to attack you, but by God's grace, he will hold you. He will hold you fast. Love that song. Let's go to the last thing here. Satan wants to mess you up with, with dark aims. He wants to mess you up with a dramatic arrival, with his dreamy allure. The last part we get to is the part you've probably all been waiting. Don't you hate that in the news? You just want to see the weather. And when do they put the weather? At like 30 minutes past. We're not doing that. We're just following the text. But I, I feel that too as you feel that. Look at verse 11. So first you had a beast coming out of the sea, a sea beast, which was like an underling of, of Satan himself. Now it says in verse 11, I saw another beast rising out of the earth. You might call this a land beast perhaps. But the beast in verse 11 will have an assistant who will go before him. The beast in verse 11 will have an assistant that will go before him. Who is this assistant? Well, he will go before him. All it says is it had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. What, it, what we're seeing here is the earth beast is resembling a lamb with two horns, much like Daniel chapter 8. You can write that down, Daniel 8. For sake of time, we can't go there. But similar to the first beast, the second beast is now going to speak on behalf of Satan and the first beast. We see that in Revelation 16, 19, and 20. And unlike true prophets, he's going to be leading people to worship falsely. He's going to promote an allegiance to a world system that's going to be something. Maybe it's a one-world government. I don't know. But he's going to be 
what you might call the Joseph Goebbels of modern day time. Verse 12 says, this is going to be a sinister minister of propaganda. He is going to be the chief of lies. You know, even until the very waning days of World War II, when the writing had been on the wall for months, Joseph Goebbels, who was the chief of propaganda for Hitler himself, and lies. He'll be a chief of lies and propaganda. Joseph Goebbels was always writing, trying to spin the worst. We're beating back those Russians. Berlin had been surrounded for weeks, and he always tried to find a positive spin. Finally, some of the German people caught the lie and said, this is hogwash. We've been fed lies for years, and we didn't even realize it. That's exactly what this assistant beast is going to do, this false prophet. He is going to lie. He's going to lead the charge to teach people that God is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's going to bring what you might call the unholy trinity. Satan is going to be the anti-God, the dragon. The antichrist will be the beast, and the anti-spirit is this false prophet. And his goal is to make you think what he's saying is true. There's one smiley preacher that's on TV on, in Texas who makes you think that if you just believe hard enough, try hard enough, and have enough faith, that you can have the whole world over. And he smiles all the way to the bank every time he gets you to ring in with your dollars. Be careful who you listen to. I'm not saying he's the false prophet. Be clear. But I want you to know Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Be very, very careful. You just have to know that when this day comes, and it has been in the works for a long time, what looks like truth will be spun a different way. You know, Satan would be happy if we all got along all our streets and lawns were manicured, trash was picked up, everyone had good manners. Satan would love that, wouldn't he? Because Christ is devoid of everything. You can be the best person in the world, but if Jesus Christ is not the center of what's making you best, then you're falling into the very lies of what he's about to do. There's a lot of discussion about what's next, but I want you to see as we go through this, we're hitting the tough parts. And I want you to know there's a lot of discussion about what's coming up. But the point of everything that's happening here is, is Satan is about to mimic everything that God's done in Revelation 11. Elijah and Moses, he's going to try and do signs and miracles. He's going to uh, proclaim himself as Lord and Savior. All the things are on their heads. But I want to tell you again, you cannot rely on what you see. You have to rely on what is known. Friends, seeing is not always believing. Please understand that. God's timetable will bring this here. How will he bring about this deceiving? Three things here as we go through. There will be a fire. He will control it through a fire, an image, and a mark. Verse 13, he says it performs, this, this false prophet performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Is this some sort of Elijah-like ministry? Probably so. We don't know what this is, but we know that whether literal or symbolic, there's authenticity to what he's doing. There's also verses 14 and 15 in image. Do you remember in Daniel chapter 3 that the, the, the ruler said, you have to bow down and worship this image or you'll be thrown into the, the fire or the lions? Do you remember that? Look at verse 14. And by the sign it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives them who dwell on the earth. And they make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. There seems to be, like Daniel 3, a replica of the beast which will cause people to listen. What that is... There are great Christians on all sides. I'm not here to solve that for you today. The point is, is he will use any means possible to get you away from Christ himself. And then in verse 16 and 17, the one everybody's waiting for, 
the mark of the beast. What is this? It causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. Well, let's back up for a second. If you're a Christian, Revelation 7, Revelation 21 and 22, God is going to mark you as one of his. And here's the irony of all this. Everyone always thinks it's some mark on the hand, a, a microchip, or, or uh, Nelson and I were commiserating about the last 50 years of how people have taken this laser technology, uh, 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 cell phones, Nintendos, Wii's. I mean, anytime technology, iPhones are of the devil. Well, some of you, well, some of you uh, uh, Android users need to reverse that. Android's of the devil, but that's, a, uh, that's another topic. Do you see how silly this gets? What is this mark? It's not confined to a literal sense. Three years ago, we were told, and I'm not here to debate whether you think it's right or wrong, but I'm just telling you what people said. Well, that COVID vaccine must be the mark of the beast. (laughs) Friends, we get silly. What is happening here? And Amy, if you want to put the next slide up, that little bit on the screen. This is not literal. This is a satanic imitation. This is not lasers and credit cards and all these things. This is similar to what Christ's church was sealed with in Revelation 7.3. In John's days, you marked slaves. Sadly, by the mark on them, they knew that you were a slave or you branded livestock. And you notice here that it's on the forehead. You notice that it's on the forehead and it's also on the hand itself. Verse 16, it causes it to be there on the right hand of the forehead. The forehead here is a symbol of the mind. The right hand here is a symbol of action, deeds, and trade. What's happening here is, I think, is not that there's going to be a literal mark. There may be, and I, I, I will stand corrected if there is. What I think he's saying is, is that throughout all time, the mark of the beast is any time we allow Satan and his imitations and his little minions to control our lives instead of being marked and branded by Christ himself. And if you're a Christian, that can happen. It can happen right now. Symbolically speaking, but literally speaking, you can be dissuaded from checking out of a sermon. How many times have you read your Bible and you've fallen asleep? Amen, I've done it too. I'm not saying that's the mark of the beast every time. I'm saying the spirit of what is happening here is not something literal. He's pointing to the fact that wherever we don't walk in faith with Christ is walking in faith to the false Christ himself. Say, Darren, that's very anticlimactic. Yeah, it probably is. But friends, you know what Satan wants us to do, I think, in some part? He wants us to go spend our whole lives trying to find where Noah built his ark, or, or where Noah's ark landed. He wants us to go Indiana Jones and go on a search for the Holy Grail. Satan wants us to chase all these things that may have importance and may have prominence, all the while we forget that Christ is right there, square and center, ready to be part of our lives. So friends, that leaves our last verse. What do we do with 666? You already see it up on the screen. It's anticlimactic. Some people say that that 666 in verse 18 is some kind of historical chronology. They call it that that this is a way that sets off the end times. Most people believe today, how many of y'all hated math as you grew up? Anybody really hate geometry? I know I've got a couple engineers in here. A lot of people today will take the 666 and the mark of the beast, and they will use what's called geometria, or where we get our word for geometry. A is one, A equals 1, B equals 2, so on and so forth. So much that so many people over the years have said, well, the 666 must mean it's some number that they came up with Adolf Hitler being 
his name with all the different equations equals 666. Well, you know what? Every president from William Howard Taft to Trump have been labeled as 666. You know what Chiefs fans have done? Al Davis and Mark Davis, or whoever the owners are of the Raiders, have been labeled by their numbers, 666. Do you know every person who's had any bad thing in this world from anyone's viewpoint has been labeled 666? What does the Bible say? Look there, we're closing out. What does it say? It says it is a number of man. That's all it says. What I'm trying to communicate to you is it's symbolic of the fact that God's number, if you will, is always associated with 777. This is always one rung above that. We're not, look, we're not playing pin the tail on the Antichrist. <laughs> Symbolism is all throughout Revelation while still being literally true. Jesus said he was a vine, but I don't think Jesus was a vine. He was actually a man. He was making a symbolic point. Revelation is not for decoding specific individuals through numbers. The book of Revelation should not drive us to charts. It should drive us to the risen Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't, something's off. You say, Darren, who is the Antichrist? I would argue that this is, is a, something that represents all time across all things. Well, I thought he was going to come out of Eastern Europe he was going to be Aryan, and he was going to be out of, like, Romania or Poland. Well, that's been the thought the last 60 years. What if you go back before that? For 400 years prior, everyone from, um, well, everyone from Charles Spurgeon down to John Calvin thought it was the Pope. And before that, they thought it was Nero. Look, the point is, it's not that those people were, were, were insincere. The point is, is God doesn't give us a specific name, but he gives us a specific individual driving us to chase after those names, and his name is Satan. That we would spend more time chasing after what Christ said about himself than trying to figure out who this Antichrist is. Don't lose the fact that God wins. So where does this leave us? Three things as we close. Don't trust what you see. Trust what God has said. Especially in his word. Friends, we know that the Bible gives us all that we need for matters of life and godliness. We know that everything in here is exactly what God wants it to be. Look, I've, I've, I've spent many hours chasing after the, who's the Antichrist. I'm not saying if you're doing that, you're sinful, but I just want to make the point. We could do this with, with many things. We could do this with prayer. We could do this with any good thing that the Bible gives us. But if it takes you off simple obedience to Christ, we've missed the boat. And I know too many people in my lives, and I was one of them for years, that, that every time there was a news update from the Middle East or Eastern Europe, boy, we got it figured out now. I remember sitting in Clear Lake, Iowa in 1999, in a ticket booth selling carnival tickets over 4th of July. Our family friends are big-time carnival owners, and that's how I made my money. I sold carnival tickets. And I picked up uh, a book out of a bookstore in Iowa that told me that Russia and America were the Antichrist. And if I didn't believe that, I couldn't be a Christian. I still have that book in my office if you want to read it. And my mom looked at me and said, What are you reading? There's a reason they put me in a ticket booth by myself. So, 
The bottom line is, make your allegiance evident. May our lives be lived in such a way by God's strength and God's power that we are not confused with anyone that may be with the mark of the beast, that they see Christ truly in us. That's by grace. And finally, through all this, don't fear. Whether we know the Antichrist, see the Antichrist, whether whatever that is, we are held in Jesus Christ, and that is our greatest hope, guys. That's it. Sorry, we didn't solve anything today. We didn't, we didn't pinpoint the Antichrist, but I pray you've been lifted up by who Christ is. Will you pray with me today? We'll close out with our last song. Thank you for your patience on a difficult, difficult text. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a detailed God. You are so detailed, Lord, that in heaven someday we will chase glory after glory, even understanding to the point that we can why you came to sinners such as us. There's a reason, Peter says, that angels long to look into these things. Because, Father, we're sinners, and we don't deserve anything that you give us. But by grace, through faith in Christ, we have it all. Not because we were better or, or stronger or faster, but in your grace, in love, you did these things. So, Father, I pray as we continue through Revelation, this is not to say we shouldn't study it deeply and widely and try to the point we can figure things out. But, Father, may we not get so lost in the details that we forget that you are reigning in this book. It was given, as verse 9 and 10 said, for our endurance and our patience and our perseverance, just as it was to those original readers in the late first century that John wrote to. Father, help us not to settle for the imitation, but always go back to you as the source. Father, I pray that for our church. I pray as we continue forward with plans of remodeling and updating bylaws and outreach and all the great things that we have and the, and the relationships that you're forming here, that, that we would see Christ in others. We'd pray Christ and the fruit of his, your spirit, Lord, would be evident in our lives and the fellowship here. Pray for our neighborhoods, Lord, that our church would not be known by what we're against, but, but who we're for. And that's you. And certainly those are things that you stand against at times, Lord, but that people see Christ in us, faithfully enduring all that Satan throws at us and the beast and the false prophet, however that may play out, by your grace. Father, you tell us that if anyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. But you also tell us that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us. So, Father, as we balance both of those, may it be to your glory. We ask this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. amen.